Hi, and welcome to Screens in Focus podcast, where we share and connect as we spotlight our favorite shows and movies. I'm Diana, and today we're talking about the 2023 Oscar nominations. We'll be discussing the nominated films and performances that we've seen or are excited to watch. I have Courtney joining me today. I'm really excited to have her here. Hi, Courtney. Hello. So excited to be here. My very first movie podcast, and I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm so excited. I know you're going to talk about how many films you've seen last year, which I'm really excited to hear about. But before we get into that, our question of the day today is, what is your favorite movie from 2022 that was not nominated for an Oscar? Super easy. The Lost City. (laughs) I love that movie. I know. Well, and and... Not that it was necessarily like Oscar nomination worthy, but the timing of it and it just ticks off all the boxes, right? Like pink sparkly pantsuit. Come on. I know. Sandra Bullock, a a kidnapping, a a mystery of ancient lost civilizations and rescue and romance and all the things like I'm here for it. It's my favorite genre. (laughs) So yes, of course, Lost City was amazing. And now I'm sensing like a Brad Pitt theme here because my number two was Bullet Train. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That I love, which also, you know, I guess whenever something has an element of a little bit of mystery, a little bit of surprise, a little bit of romance, and just a great story and a lot of action and adventure, it it holds your attention for the escapism piece of why we go to the movies, right? In the first place. Right. And then my third one was Nope. Nope. <laughs> Which I'm not a horror genre person at all. And I although know. like at sort of lost me at the end where I was like, why are we going off on this weird like cowboy tangent landlord story? I don't even know because I'm here for the alien story. <laughs> but um, I thought it was so well done. The story was so re- well written and the actors just made it all the more worthwhile to watch. I love those. And I agree. I love Nope. It is my favorite movie. I've seen it several times. My husband loves it too. I know it's different, but my whole family, my sons have seen it. Their girlfriends have seen it. We sat around talking about it. I think because it has so many themes underlying about it, it's not what it seems. And the alien is totally different. It's not scary. It's just so intriguing. And I think all the actors are so good. I love Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Yun, and uh, Brandon Perea. I just think that they're all so good. They just worked. It's yeah. it's just really good. And I think, well, the part in it that really uh, was scary to me was the part about the monkey and the attack. And that's not even, a you know, the alien part of that. That's real life. That's something that's really has happened to people. So, and that the way that Jordan Peele captured all of that and about how everything has to do with being a spectacle and that sort of being the underlying theme and wanting this, this fame or whatever it is that people are running towards or wanting so bad, the Oprah shot. Yeah. I just thought it was so brilliant. I just think he's a brilliant filmmaker. And yeah, I do too. Well, you're making me think too. Now, like maybe the reason for the inclusion of that whole monkey attack scene in the beginning was kind of an underlying commentary about primates, mammals attacking each other, potentially more dangerous than anything that we could perceive coming from the sky, or maybe 
there's danger all around us. I don't know what the underlying takeaway was that Jordan was trying to go for. Maybe I'm just digging. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think that's good. I think that's what he tries to make us think, right? All of those things. I was thinking that it was one, you're taking a animal and you're putting him on TV. That was to me what it was. And the animal was reacting to a balloon popping, which is not his norm. That's not his environment. But you're taking this animal, putting him into something that you, because you want to make a television show, because you want to make money. And here he is reacting with his own instincts. And it is taken out on the human beings on this show and how it impacted Stephen and how he grew up. Well, it's not Stephen, sorry, but his name. Um, his character. And, <laughs> yeah, character on the show, how he wanted to be famous again. He wanted to capture that again. And so he has yeah. this ranch with these shows. And then he uses the alien to help him try and reclaim that spotlight again. So that's, to me, what it was all about. I suppose key takeaway is as human beings, we don't control anything around us, even though we always try to. So yeah, despite how much we try to use other things, uh, make them work for us and have them fit into our own boxes. It's just not the natural way of being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So we've given our favorite movies from 2022. I would like to know from our friends out there what you think. What is your favorite movie from 2022 that was not nominated? You can reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at Screens and Focus. All of our social media links are on our website, screensandfocus.com. Or you can email me at screensandfocus at gmail.com because I really want to know. I want to know what you're watching out there. So the links are in our show notes. Before we actually get into the Oscars, I just wanted to briefly touch upon the SAG Awards that premiered this last Sunday on Netflix's YouTube channel, and I will have the link to that in case anybody wants to go back and watch it. But I wanted to know, was there any highlights, anything that stuck out to you? First of all, they didn't make it easy to watch. (laughs) I know. Difficult to find, right? Not on network TV. It was on Netflix uh, YouTube channel. So it took a little bit of finding if you wanted to watch it on the big screen. Uh, if you have a smart TV, it was a little bit easier. I would say no surprises at all. I appreciate the the SAG Awards in that it's, it's also it's the last show that celebrates the best in television and in the big screen. And so you get that nice eclectic mix of actors uh, all there which I thought was cool. Uh, yeah. Any commentary that I would have would be probably about fashion choices. <laughs> ah. Which Aubrey Plaza's dress was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and the potential uh, wardrobe fun- mis- yes. malfunction when she went up, when the cast of White Lotus won. Sorry, spoiler alert if you haven't watched it um, for season two. Uh, but I didn't think that there was any um, surprises, just like the other award shows of the season, the Golden Globes, and the BAFTAs and the SAGs are all pretty much in line leading up to the Oscars happening in a a few weeks on the 12th of March. I think that the Oscars are probably going to fall in line, but we'll see. I was just reading about that, how they normally align, but they don't always align. So there can always be a surprise. So that'll be interesting. But of course, I always love watching or hearing the acceptance speeches. I just think that they are, some of them are very moving. Jennifer Coolidge. She's been winning this whole season. And so, and I'm really glad for her. I just, it's fun to hear them, what they have to say, who they think. 
Uh, Brendan uh, Fraser was emotional in his acceptance speech. I really enjoyed watching Sally Field win her, was it like a, it was sort of like a Lifetime Achievement. Lifetime Achievement Award, yes. Yes. So I thought that that was um, cool to see all, everything that she's been in, even though I've known everything she's been in and I've probably seen everything she's been in, it was nice to see it all together and for her to be celebrated because there are younger people who don't know her. Which seems bonkers. (laughs) I know. Well, when they were introducing her and they were talking about the Flying Nun and Gidget, I'm like, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, I've seen that. But I thought, oh my gosh, some people are like, I've never seen this before. So it's just a nice time to celebrate these actors. And so it was fun. It was a fun show. Yes, I thought it was fun too. This is why we love award shows, right? I mean, we get a chance to root for our favorite actors and we get a chance to know them. I'm using air quotes, not know them, know them, of course, but you know, they get a chance to be grateful. I think you can tell when people are genuinely grateful when they're giving their acceptance speeches or if they don't accept uh, graciously, I guess, or if they seem to be blowing it off. I thought when Sam Elliott won, I was rooting for him. Just an amazing talent and he's never won a SAG award before. And his performance in uh, 1883 was incredible. Uh, he, although he plays mostly the same type of character, we love him for that type of character and he plays it so well and for him to be recognized for it, I thought was a very nice exclamation point, uh, at this point in his career. Yeah. I had forgotten about that. I'm so glad you brought that up. I always feel bad when they show everybody because I also love so many of the actors that didn't win. And when they show their faces, I'm like, oh, they didn't win and they didn't win. Because you want them all to win because some of them are very well-deserving. Some of them have been around for a long time and have been looked over or never won, but get repeated nominations. So it's fun to watch them win. I wanted to bring up James Hong in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I think they said he was 94. Oh, oh wow. My and he gosh. did a little jig on stage. I know. <laughs> I know. That so was incredible. Any- yeah, so for anybody that has not seen it, please go watch the SAG Awards on Netflix on YouTube. One last thing before we get to the Oscars, which I was a little bit heartbroken for Christina Applegate for not <gasps> Me too. winning lead in uh, a, a female lead in in a television series. Not that Jean Smart wasn't so well deserving of it of hacks, but this was her last go around because of MS. She's already said she's going to hang up her acting shoes. And uh, the look on her face, they of course, they immediately cut to her when she didn't win. And she did everything I could tell that to keep it together, you know, but that that was heartbreaking for me. I thought, you know, come on, you're the guild. You're the actors yeah. who are all together voting for these people like right give a girl give her the recognition that she deserves for her body of work i really think uh, just the performance i loved dead to me season three well i loved all seasons all seasons but this particular season she's so good she's so funny i just love i loved her in it i really thought she would win i mean yeah me too Pax has been good, but I actually haven't seen the second season, to be honest. So I don't know Jean Smart's performance this season. So, and she wasn't, didn't even attend. So it would have been nice I know. if Christina Applegate would have won. I really felt like it should have gone to her. I really so do. So do I. Like, so I'm really bummed in, in that, that she didn't win. 
in, in an everything, everywhere, all at once universe, she won of one. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Ooh, okay, let's get to it. The Oscars. We're going to start with Best Picture, and we're going to go by each one. There's 10 of them. So we'll start with, um, I put them in order. There was some article that I found that was taking odds on who was going to win. So we're going to start with the top. The odds are that it will win and then it will go down the list. And so the first one, <laughs> no surprise, it's everything, everywhere, all at once. And in a nutshell, a woman being audited and realizing she has access to the multiverse. What a log okay. line. I know. So tell me, what did you think? Uh, well, I, I am a betting person and I would put all my money on this one. This was my absolute favorite movie of 2022. Uh, hands down. I have a lot of reasons why. First of all, you can't make a movie about the multiverse and not expect it to be extremely complex, right? You're dealing with quantum theories here and multiple lives and like seemingly uh, parallel existences. So the way that it was made was so well done and the sort of dichotomy between looking at the multiverse concept, which is so complex, and then in contrast, having it be such a simple story about right. the relationship between a, a mother and a daughter and a wife and a husband and herself to herself, right? Which which is at best the simplest concepts you can get about the core relationships in your lives. And I loved it because uh, for all the reasons why I love The Lost City in that it's like the epitome of escapism. Everything Everywhere All at Once was the epitome of truism. It, it was not an escapist movie. It was a, a, a movie that explored the absolute range in every facet of human existence, right? And when I say range, literally that entire movie takes you through the spectrum of silliness, of seriousness, of sadness, of heartbreak, of joy and despair, to contentment, to confusion, to fear. It 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 takes you on this roller coaster ride of through the, the multiverse experience of Michelle Yeoh's character, um, what does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to face your fears and to come to the ultimate conclusion of contentment with yourself and your relationships with the people that you love? And I think uh, if a movie in two hours, <laughs> especially one that has things like dildo fights and <laughs> butt wars and hot dog fingers and yes. everything in between. H how did that movie even get made? Yes. I, I, I am scratching my head. That's the first thing I said to my husband and my son after that movie, when the lights came up, I said, how did that movie get made? Like as an aspiring screenwriter myself, like thinking about everything that they teach you in every workshop about here's the beat sheet and here's the the structure of what you should have. And here's act one, act two, act three needs to end on page 48 and whatever. I'm like, this did nothing of the sort. Yeah. <laughs> and I love it for that. I It's just so different that I think it made you be on the edge of your seat the entire time. So I watched this movie twice. And the first time I watched it, I was on an airplane. And I might have seen it in two parts. Now I can't recall. 
But I couldn't stay as focused on it as I wanted to. And I think you really do. So I think that if you had seen this in a theater, which I'm imagining you did, that was probably the best place because that really captures your attention. You're really paying attention. I was on an airplane looking at a small screen, and I, I thought, what is happening? There's a dildo flying around, somebody swinging it around, and like you said, the hot dog fingers, and they're in a closet, then they're not, and then they're fighting, and they're dressed differently. I'm like, what is going on? And then I could see the human aspect of it, of Evelyn with her husband who wants to divorce, and her daughter who does not feel accepted, and her father, who doesn't accept her, Evelyn. So it's all this. And I, and also she's dealing with an IRS agent played by Jamie Lee Curtis. It, it is so mind boggling. I, I was not sure what was happening. So I'm so glad that I was able to watch it again. And even though I watched it again, knowing what it was about, It's so quick. Everything is so quick. You have to try and stay on top of it. And some of it, you just can't. So you have to almost watch it again. But yes, I really needed that second time. I found myself really laughing out loud so many times. And this is so minimal, but there was a moment with Jamie Lee Curtis's character and Michelle uh, Yeoh's character with the hot dog fingers. And yeah, (laughs) and you see gloves hanging in the background and the gloves are for their hot dog fingers. And it's so funny because like somebody thought, I'm going to make these gloves for those fingers and hang them behind them. Well, I noticed those gloves, which was hysterical and it cracked me up. There was just so many moments, so many that made me bust out laughing. And like you said, like, how did this get made? How did you even write those scenes on paper because things happen within a millisecond. They layer all this on top of each other. And it was just mind blowing. I don't know how they did it. Yes, it took two Daniels to do it together because I can't imagine this would have come out of one person's mind. You needed two people and even two people. I'm not sure how they edited it, how they were able to articulate what was in their mind then through their voice onto paper and then onto actors and cinematographers and everyone else that was involved. It's crazy. This movie is just all these elements that came together. I love that it is those different genres, different themes. And I think it really explores what is possible in storytelling. And I think that's why it's really resonated with so many people because it's considered an indie film. It's not... yeah. You know, it's become a blockbuster. Yeah. So it's this existential, um, I I dare to say masterpiece, but it it shows the, um, like what a reflection of the beauty of life, which is its attention to detail and the complexity of life, like coupled with the most simple, basic human needs and emotion. Like it's just, it's the cacophony of it all, which is how life is. And I think that's why I, chose this mo- this movie as my favorite my front runner to win not because it's like won every other contest which i've been cheering for but like most other movies are one to two notes and this truly is a cacophony it's a beautiful movie yeah it is okay let's talk about all quiet on the western front so this is a german anti-war film based on the novel were you able to watch this 
No, I was going to say, I'm going to be quiet about this one because I did not watch All Quiet on the Western Front, mostly because war movies are not uh, my favorite genre. In fact, they're probably, besides boxing movies, are my least favorite <laughs> genre. I, I, I'm here for you know, the, the favorites of Saving Private Ryan and, you know, some other war movies, of course, but I did not see it. I almost didn't watch it because war is hard to watch. It's also a German movie. And I knew I would really have to pay attention. So this is on Netflix, and you can watch it. And I attempted to watch it once, and I turned it off because my mindset wasn't there. So I turned it back on. And when I turned it back on the second time, I had read a little more about it because I knew it was a novel. I knew they had done the mo a movie like this before. But when I read a little more about it and knew what I was going into, it made it easier for me. And I guess all I really want to say about it is it follows a 17-year-old teen with him and his friends who decide who it's basically like glorified that you're going to enlist and fight in the war. It becomes very mm -hmm. exciting. It's something they just want to do. It feels very romantic in a way. So they do it. And then all of a sudden, they're faced with the reality of war. And that's really what it is. But you see it. And I know that you said you don't like seeing such graphic films. Well, this really is super graphic. But I also think, even though it's really hard to watch, Sometimes we have to see these things because they are history. They are our history. It's about World War One. Yeah, it is the it's where I believe the most people died. I can't even remember. I did read how many, but so many people on both sides died. Yeah, and sometimes we have to be reminded of how horrific war can be. You know, all the soldiers and how what they had to live through and the ones that did survive and their mental state and everything else. It's just um, also it was really well done. It was beautiful visually. It really was. And I was able to go on Netflix and dub in English because sometimes it's hard to read everything. But and it worked for this because it was a uh, war film because you didn't always see their faces talking. Sometimes they were running and shouting things out. So it worked. So I think yeah. you can do that. So if you don't want to read, you can dub in English and you can Great. watch it that way. Yeah. If it wins Best Picture, I'll go back and watch it. <laughs> I think it's going to win Best International Film. I think really it's beautiful. In I'm not talking about what is happening, but the way it's filmed, it's very beautiful yes. and it's captured really well. And yep. so I was going to say, I'm aligned with you, too, that movies like this need to exist. We do need to be reminded and uh, gener generationally uh, reminded that th this happened yeah. and this is the ramification and it's uh, informed what went after. And let's not do that again, shall we? Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. With you. They need to be. Yeah. It's not my favorite genre, but I also at the same time think that they need to exist. In right. This world. That's me, too. Me too, because I yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't say I'm a person who likes to watch war films. It's just not something I do. I think the most one that I have watched is Saving Private Ryan, but I think it's because of the actors. And of course, when it gets to certain parts, I cringe because I'm like, no, I don't want to see that. Yeah. Um, but which just, I'm sorry, a side note, I just got me thinking to Tom, Tom Sizemore because he's in the film and I know he's going through something in real life right now, unfortunately. Yeah. But okay, so the third 
movie is Top Gun Maverick. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Tom Cruise's sequel to the 80s blockbuster Top Gun. I'm here for it. Loved it. I, I have to say, well, just only because it was nominated didn't make my list, obviously, of non-nominated films. But this came at the perfect time for all of us in a post-pandemic world of needing escapism and being teased by this trailer for two and a half years that it was going to come out. And it it like satisfied every little bit of nostalgia and today modern day storytelling and um, all of it. The, the humor, the the action, the the storytelling, the only thing that I thought was a little bit like, wow, you couldn't even find a way to fit Kelly McGillis in. <laughs> really? Like, I realize that maybe she doesn't like fill the part of the girlfriend of Tom Cruise, even though they're the same age uh, and whatever. Like they could have put her in somewhere. I don't know. But I loved it. I don't think it's going to win, but I think I, I was happy that it was nominated because it came at that exact time in what... Uh, Memorial Day of 2022, when people yeah. back out lo- watching movies in the theaters again, even though yes, those diehards were doing it the entire time that we could when theaters were open. I saw 34 movies in the theater last year. I went back and counted. Um, but even if people only saw one movie in the theater last year, my bet would be it was Top Gun Maverick. Right, right. I can't believe you saw 34 that in the theaters. That's a lot in, in the theaters. Yes, in the theaters. And and that even pales in comparison to how many my son saw because he was with us most of the time and he went by, by himself as our Friday night ritual. So he's probably seen closer to 50. Oh my gosh. So do you see like three movies a week almost? Well, no, that so there's 52 weeks a year. That would oh, be that's um, true. Sorry, Friday, and uh, <laughs> I guess my math <laughs> skills are not working <laughs> every Friday minus traveling and. We caught up on the movie cycle of just where there weren't any new movies coming out. So there was nothing to see in the theater for that that interested us anyway. I mean, that's in the theater. That doesn't count. You know, we also watch at least one or two movies a weekend too. So we're we're cinephile to the core. I yeah, I watch we watch a movie every Saturday night. We at least watch one movie, if not more. And then I watch on my own during the week films. I don't watch as many films as I do TV shows, but I do watch films too. And there's always a film on Saturday night, like I said. So I love right? it. And Top Gun for me, oh, man, I did a solo podcast episode on that. So that's how much I love that film. I It was just amazing. I love Tom Cruise in films, and I love the original, so I had to watch this. This was just, oh, my gosh, even so much better. All Everything that he did to put it out, all the training everybody went through to get it done, the diversity in the, in the um, cast – uh, and yeah. also just all the nostalgia also and even Val Kilmer. Yes, were, that's what were, I was going to say. Yeah, I love that they worked him in. I that heard that that even for Tom Cruise that was a super emotional reunion for them. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a dry eye during that time and so uh he said he was Iceman and he really um admires Val Kilmer and his work and they've remained friends all through the years. So it was just a really cool way for them to you know have him in the in this film and and it worked his character worked for for it also and the music and just all the aerial choreography that's not really the right word but um well, it's just it kind uh, of is. i mean they had to choreograph all of the fighter planes and right. the position of the, 
cameras on the planes and the angles that they were like, I don't know right. how much of that was real and how much of it was CGI, but I know that. No, it's great- real. I think it's real. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was most of it was real. I mean, they may have used some CGI, but it was really important to Tom Cruise for it to be real. And these people had to go, the cast had to go through certain training and boot camp. And it, it scared it scared them. I know that they had to be in water, practiced in water, basically, was yeah. what it was. I think uh, one of the highlights for me was when they uh, stole the F-14. I just thought that that was uh, a really cool moment. I love the Tom Cruise, <laughs> you know, right, flying this old plane and knowing how. And I kept saying, how does it have gas? How is it still functioning? But I didn't care. I was along for the ride. And uh, I also liked when he did the canyon run and was and showed everybody that, you know, he still he still he still had it. And he was going to lead, you know, this young crew to get it done. The other thing I love about movies like that that are uh, bringing back up nostalgia is like, I'm sure Kenny Loggins after the first movie was like, well, that was a good run. Right. And then all of a sudden, 30 years later, here's this resurgence of his song and his yeah. music introduced yeah. a completely new generation and people being exposed to it for the first time, like in a way that Kate Bush and Stranger Things yes. that happened. Like I was going to say um, that, yeah. Yeah, so I, I love the fact that some of these uh, remakes are, are distantly spaced sequels. <laughs> and also like Cobra Kai and Karate Kid, too. Uh, same thing yeah. with the music and revisiting these characters. So I just love all of it because I grew up with the originals. And when they do this, it's just a fun to rewatch and relive Again. Well, it's a way for, for Generation X, like our forgotten little teeny tiny 10-year generation to be remembered for yeah. all the amazing content that happened when we it was on our watch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all right. So the next movie is The Fablemans. It's a coming-of-age story about a young filmmaker, Steven Spielberg. So it's a semi-autobiographical film. What did you think of this one? I thought uh, if I had one word to describe this movie, it would just be sweet. It, it was a sweet film. You could tell it was a love letter dedicated to his perspective of growing up with his family. And I love that he did it through the lens of filmmaking, uh, his own personal perspective of being in love with filmmaking, and then made the uh, obs- observance of the relationships around him through his naive eyes part of the story. Um, and left you not guessing because I suppose it was confirmed, but certainly how confusing of a time that must be when you're trying to when you're young, you're going through that weird time in our lives called puberty and trying to make sense of things yourself while dreaming big and finding a way to make your dreams come to reality. It's like a, a literal train wreck, <laughs> yeah. a literal train wreck of your dreams with reality. Yeah, I just saw this movie last week because I knew I had to watch it since I knew we were going to be talking about it. And because I love Steven Spielberg and all his movies, and I knew how important this film was to him telling the story. Uh, I know for him, this was one of the most important stories that he's told. But it's because it's personal. It's his life. And he had, you know, he waited until now to tell it. His parents have gone and he didn't want it to hurt their feelings in any way or bring up old wounds. So he waited till they passed to um, to finally tell it. And I thought it was a beautiful story. I think it showed, I, I love knowing where people come from 
the artists that we see, the talent that we see, where it comes from, how it may have been nurtured or not nurtured, who supported them, who didn't support them. So I just really liked watching this story. And I think, you know, he has a story that a lot of people have of their families. And it was just, you're right. It feels sweet. A beautiful story about a young boy who loves film and loves his parents, loves his family, and just... He had the support of his family. He was always, his siblings were always cast in his films. And his uh, mother just loved watching her son's films. And I just loved watching her watch his films. I just thought that that was a really special relationship. It was just a really nice film. And so I would say out of all of these films that we've been talking about, this feels like the most, um, just like a movie, like a movie you can just sit down and watch. It's nothing terrifying about it, except for being, you know, in a family and things and struggles that you have within your family. Because he did have struggles with his father, too, who didn't really want him to be a filmmaker. He wanted him to go to college and have a real career. (laughs) Because he didn't feel that being a director or filmmaker was the right career for him or for anybody to make a living because his father was very brilliant. Yeah. So I don't know. It was a it was a really nice film. So I would recommend people to watch it. I don't think it's going to win the Oscar, but I think that the way it was filmed was just beautiful, and I think that that is why it was a nominee this year. Well, it's it's a beautiful slice of life um, coming of age story that is. I know I. I keep coming back to that love letter um, to his, like an homage to his mother, um, him acknowledging that proud gaze that she had upon him and acknowledging how difficult it must have been for his father um, to support his career choices because his father wanting him to pursue a, a more stable career in the sciences or, you know, math teaching, you know, whatever, something like that. So for, for him to ultimately be supportive of, of his son's career I thought was really great and um, I think it will win for best original screenplay ah that would be good I would like that that would be very cool okay so the next one is Elvis which is about Elvis surprise (laughs) and to me about his manager the colonel yes do you have any thoughts on this one uh, I mean, as far as like fictional uh, biographies um, that have been made in the past, I thought this was really interesting uh, depiction of Elvis's life. There's been a few out there. I thought Aaron Butler did an incredible job uh, as Elvis, so much so that even now when he's on like interview circuits, he's still talking like Elvis, which is, yeah. you know, weird question mark. I don't know. Uh so, so there's that. Uh, I, I thought um, I liked that it was through the perspective of Colonel Tom Parker, because a lot of people would confuse or not confuse, accuse him of really taking advantage of Elvis as a talent. And uh, like his history of being sort of like this revival carnival barker type con man grifter. Uh, who stumbles upon probably arguably one of the greatest talents of all time uh, and how he was able to make a living off of him and what exploits came of that. Did it contribute to his untimely early demise? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. We'll never know, but certainly um, it's, it's, it's a story that is worth telling and was interesting to, to watch because it happened. We all know how it ends. <laughs> yes, we do. I, I, 
used to watch Elvis movies way back when. I've always loved Elvis. I've loved his voice. I was excited to watch this film, and I watched it early on, but it wasn't my favorite movie. I I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, I think because I felt it concentrated a lot on the colonel, it just wasn't what I was expecting. I think I wanted to see more about Elvis. I I wanted to see it from Elvis's perspective, but I guess how would you get that? You can't really get that because he's not yeah. living. And so I thought the performances are what stood out here. Yeah. But uh, the film, hmm, I I don't know. I don't know if I'll watch it again. So it's not an upper. No, <laughs> it's not. I mean, the yeah, then probably the most exciting part was when he was about, you know, he's going to perform. And we got to see his relationship with his mom also, because we know yeah. that that was important. All right. The next film is Tar. And this is about Lydia Tar, the rise and fall of a composer. And I think you said you did you just see this? Last night, I did watch it all the way through to the end. Um, I mean, Kate Blanchett, come on. What can she not do? I know. In this film, she speaks three languages, maybe four. Uh, she's obviously a brilliant composer and musician. And um, I was kind of left at the very end. I was like, okay, I- I'm glad I have that information in my brain now. <laughs> it was It was an interesting story about her life. I feel like I don't know. Was it too soon? I mean, this all happened in what, 2013 ish. I I don't even know. Is she still alive? I I would presume she's still alive. Is this a true story? I don't know. What is it? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Leonard Bernstein and like some other. So I don't even know if it was true or fictional. I thought it was fictional. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was fictional, but I'm going to have to go back and make sure. But yeah, I, I have to say when I first saw this film, I saw the first 28 minutes and I turned it off. (laughs) <laughs> because I think the first 15 minutes or whatever it was 20, where was a interview and I was not into the interview at all. I'm like, where is this going? But I, I did the same thing that I did with All Quiet on the Western Front. I went and read about it. And then because I just have this thing when I learn about what the importance of the film is or what they're trying to convey in it or what it's about or what was, you know, highlighted because there was a reason it's in this <laughs> top 10 of films last year. Once I read about it, I went back where I left off and watched it. And it was so much better. It was so much better. And it's basically about examining the power people have when you're in a certain position and how you use that. Yeah, here, here's what here's what my takeaway was. I, I feel like it was an important movie to make and probably why Camp Kate Blanchett agreed to do it, which is she's always been a stand for women and women's voices in uh, the arts, right? And to me, that's what this was, was it was a commentary about the imbalance of power between male composers and musicians versus women composers and musicians and the opportunities that they have and the leeway that's being given to male composers versus female composers in that role. Because she is, um, there's probably a reason why they portray her as a lesbian, uh, why she is extremely honest and straightforward and lacks the tact because she so believes in the art. She There's this brilliant scene of her teaching a, a class. Uh, it, she, she's a composer for the, the Berlin Orchestra, and she's teaching a class. And there is a, there's a male student of color, and she's asking him to uh, play a, a part from like Beethoven or Bach or something. And he refuses because he right. says, 
no, I don't, I don't like what that person stood for. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, you know, bi, biracial person of color, a BIPOC. And I don't, I refuse to play that person's music. And she said, and she went off on this really interesting tirade that essentially uh, said, as a composer and a musician, you need to transcend that. Do you really want someone to be judging you if you were a composer on the, the choices that you made in your life? Or is this really about the music and what music makes people feel and the stories and the human experience that it tells? Because when you're a composer, you have to go out there and put everything on the line. You have to shatter yourself. I can't remember the exact words, yeah. but it was so powerful because there, it, there, there's a part later on where someone in that space was filming it, even though it was supposed to be a device-free zone, and they had completely edited it yeah. to make it look like she was taking this person down and basically supporting everything horrible that people do to uh, women or people of color or minorities or people not in power in these spaces to suppress their voices in this space. And I was like, wow, is this so interesting portrayal of uh, what happens in these spaces? This is why movies like this need to be made because yeah. is it really about the art or is it about the power? Yeah, I just thought once I went back, I just appreciated it so much more. The power that she had and she used and because she would use her power for sexual favors to get other women to do what she for sexual favors and, and within her orchestra, you know, placing them or giving them certain. Well, roles, I would but... argue that she was accused of that, but, but well, the way that it was portrayed. Well, that's what I wanted to say was that, well, I guess probably it's how you look at it too. But they didn't outright show you everything, but they implied all of it because she did it with Francesca. I think that was the, her assistant. And then the gal, Krista, who killed herself because of all those emails, because they because it was that they had an affair. She didn't want Krista exposing her. So she used, you know, she said things about her in these emails. That's why she wanted Francesca to get rid of those emails. So, so it was the I power missed the that part she had. She was manipulative. Yes. Was she a sexual predator? No, I don't believe. That's what they are. Uh, that's what they were saying. I didn't. We don't see it. Or it's not validated to us. But that's what was written on this movie. Yeah. So I, I only assumed it because of what I read. That's what made me go back and watch it. Yeah, yeah. I so, mean, well, and this, this is the question mark. Now you're making me question to say like, what did I miss? Because what? That's what the I, whole point. We didn't, it wasn't, that's what I was saying that I loved. You didn't really see it. It was alluded to it in every way. Yeah. Well, she definitely was manipulative. Like she, she used her power to, and manipulated situations to get what the outcome was that she wanted for sure. Um, but there was also moments of like, you kind of felt sorry for her because you're like, she's in this position of power and she's very lonely and alone. I, I didn't and, feel sorry for her. I didn't feel sorry. I thought she really was being a predator. But I also thought how it ended, I, I thought, oh, this is like one woman with this power. How many men are have this power? And how many men are banished to thrown out and have to go work in another country? So I thought yeah. it was interesting that she probably is a lone woman in this role. And this is her outcome of what happened to her and yeah. losing her 
her partner, her wife. I'm not sure if they were married or not, but they had a family. And now she lives yeah. Well, I don't want to, ah, I'm going to not say that in case somebody wants Boiler to watch, but, <laughs> <laughs> but see how interesting the conversation is even between you and I. We're like, oh, did this happen? Well, I don't know. Did that happen? We're going to have to go back and check that all out. And everyone else is going to have yeah. to go watch it and c- tell us, share with us your thoughts on that, because I would love to know. It would be great. Yeah. All right. So the next one is Avatar, The Way of Water. So this is James Cameron's sequel to Avatar, where we see the Sully family on Pandora when life is interrupted once again by humans trying to take over as Earth is dying. So did you watch this Avatar? Yes. Yeah, we saw it in the theater. I have mixed feelings about this movie because for me, my number one um, trigger is injustice. So anytime I see a movie that is presented like the way that they presented the this version of Avatar, which I believe was through the lens of the first version of Avatar, which is human beings um, like staking their claim over everything and taking worlds from people like we have from the beginning of time, especially white people. Um, it really triggered me in that way of like, why are you, why do you think that you can keep coming into these worlds and taking these people's land for your own resources and your yeah. own selfish needs when you don't deserve to do that. So I had a problem that the storyline wasn't updated in that way. It was a very old trope that I feel like could have been updated. And, and I had a really hard time watching it. Um, from cinematography, stunningly beautiful, right? Stunningly beautiful. Like the, the water, the way, like how far this technology has come where you can show every fantastical corner of this beautiful avatar world and the water scenes and everything was absolutely beautiful. So I feel like it should win for that. Should it win for best picture? I mean, maybe, but it it didn't do that for me because I felt very empty after watching it. And I, it gave me, um, a lack of hope. What's the opposite of hope? Hopelessness, (laughs) hopelessness. Yeah. Yeah. that I have to have faith that humanity will learn to stop doing this right. um, time and time and time again and stop oppressing and stealing land and killing people senselessly. Like when these people have, have lives, they have relationships, they started from birth and they have an yeah. origin story. Why do you, what gives you the right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I did see this at the theaters. Well, I think that's only in the theaters. I purposely went because I wanted to see it. And I, I like the first one. I know it's it's a lot of people like the first one, but I was okay with the first one. I actually preferred the second one. I don't know if it was because it had to do with the family, if it was because it highlighted the kids that they had, uh, but I just, I did prefer this one to the first one. I also, I love the fact that Sigourney Weaver played the younger daughter in this, and that was actually her in this role. I thought, oh, they just put her voice in. No, this is her. <laughs> it's her doing everything. And so I just thought that that was cool that this woman, um, I don't know if she's in her 60s. I, I can't recall right now what her age is, but could play this 14-year-old. And they were saying that she was just perfect. She was so playful. And and I did. I And I thought to myself, man, it looks like Sigourney Weaver in the jawline. And it was her. So 
Um, I thought they were just making it look like her, but no, that's because it was her. So I just thought it was very cool. Again, will it win? I don't know. But yes, the cinematography was gorgeous. It was just really well done, the characters and the CGI and and everything. And I know James Cameron has this thing with water. He just loves (laughs) the sea. He's a man of science. He, he, He does base a lot of things on what he knows and what he studies and what he um, appreciates. So I think that's kind of cool. Okay, so the last two movies, Triangle of Sadness, a cruise ship sinks, and the mega-rich survivors fend for themselves on an island. And then Women Talking, it's based on tree events in Manitoba Colony in Bolivia. A group of religious women experience a series of sexual assaults within their small community. I'm going to say I wasn't aware of the premise of either of these movies. And now that I looked it up, it makes me want to watch both of them. But I have not seen either one of these, so I can't really give too much insight Um, on them. Okay. I did not see Women Talking. Um, I have a feeling this is one of those movies that falls into the category of please keep making these because people need to hear that this is going on. But do I want to watch it? No, because it would be highly triggering about like oppression of women and um, like the hierarchy, the the patriarchy. So I won't be watching that one. Um, Triangle of sadness. Sadly, I did see (laughs) in the theater. I was like, what even is this movie? I was like, I'm sorry. Why is this on the list? I don't even know why this is on the list. It's Ah. ridiculous. Great. You want to talk about the, um, it's like Lord of the Flies with power structure, right? So maybe mm. this is the theme of all of these movies, right? Which we also need to talk about Banshees of Insurance because we skipped it. Oh. Um, yeah, but it's okay in just a second. So t- Triangle of Sadness in Essence, this is about the gradual flip in the power hierarchy of all of these like super rich billionaires and these big influencers and celebrities who uh, are chartered out on this private yacht for this private cruise and you and you get insight into like there's the there's the crew and then there's like the the crew underneath the crew and what, how they're supposed to act how they're supposed to be like the the power slaves of all of these guests right who who hold all the power and the money well then there's a tragedy the huge storm and the boat ends up sinking and they end up uh making it to this island right where all of a sudden everyone's equalized the playing field is equalized so now what how do you how do you structure the power hierarchy? Is it the people who can find the most food? Is it the people who have the shelter? Is it the people with the most survival skills? So that's what they end up going through as human beings. This is where the Lord of the Flies part comes out. And then how at the very end of it, I, this won't be a spoiler, but like how when they refine civilization, how that quickly changes again. So, I mean... You could probably just listen to my synopsis of it and walk away and never have to subject yourself to two hours of this movie. <laughs> there's some high parts. You know, Woody Harrelson plays the captain and there's ah. some funny, a few funny scenes in there. But to me, this this would be an indie movie choice. It, it's not a mainstream movie choice. And ah. it's definitely not an upper. <laughs> in reading it, when I was writing it out, I thought it sounds like Survivor. Some You know, uh, an experiment like on... That who will survive. 
Okay, so sorry, I um, skipped over the number three film, which I watched and I <laughs> and I did like it. And it's the Banshees of Inisherin. So two best friends living in remote Ireland when one decides to end the friendship without warning. I tried to put myself in this position and thought I would not like that. It's hard when one person cuts you off of a relationship. And you're like, why? We've been best friends all this time. Why are you cutting me off? And and Colin Farrell as Paul Rick, Brendan Gleeson as Colum. So Colum is the one who tells Paul Rick, you know, I don't want to be friends anymore. What was it like Colum Larry Sonny or whatever? It was a very, it was a longer name, but certainly Colum is like uh, his, his yeah. pet name whatever. I, and I, I, the only reason I watched 30 minutes of this last night and then turned it off because I was like, where is this going? I, I don't, I can't, I can't watch this. It's a little bit too slow. So you're going to have to give your synopsis of how it ends because I have no idea how it ended. Well, it's basically what I said. One friend is like, why are you cutting me off? And it's okay. I am hoping I'm not going to give too much away, but I am going to say this one thing because Column does tell Paul Rick, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to cut off my finger or my limb. I'm not sure if he tells him the limb or finger. His fingers. Yeah, yeah his I'm gonna, fingers. I'm going to cut off a finger for every every time you bother me. Yes. And it happens. So that's what sucked me in. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What am I watching? So it's crazy how Paul Rick keeps trying because it's going to drive you crazy when you are when you think I didn't do anything wrong how can we not be friends we've no they're in a small community it's not like yeah. there's a big place place to go you can't get lost you see this person all the time and it's just um it's an interesting story and i will say the supporting cast were so good they, i think they were both nominated also for for oscars so i think all four people were nominated leads and supporting. And I think that that's saying a lot when four people are Oscar nominated in a film. So I would say give it a shot and watch the rest of it. It is an interesting movie. Yeah. It felt like a, a movie version of a play. Yeah. You know how sometimes you do that, right? Yeah. I, you're right. I think that could be that could be it. Well, that was a lot. So I don't think have to nominate 10 movies. Like, is there really 10 movies? Half of these, in my opinion, don't even belong on the list. Like, let's just call it five. And <laughs> it used to be one. five. And then they added, can't you do maybe between, I don't know, why 10? That is a lot of movies. That's All right. Too much. Nominees for Best Lead Actor, Austin Butler in Elvis, Colin Farrell, The Banshees of Inisherin, Brendan Fraser, The Whale, Paul Mescal, After Sun, and Bill Nye, Living. Do you have any thoughts on any of these performances? We've talked a little bit about them already. Yes. So um, to me, that's easy. I think Brendan Fraser in The Whale was an amazing portrayal of someone who's gotten himself into a situation, uh, in his case, obesity, and uh, is struggling to deal with that and uh, the lack of relationships that come with that just by the nature of he can't really leave his house. <laughs> so yeah. people need to come to him. Um, and I, I think uh, he, he did an, an incredible job. Um, I know a lot of people are like, just because you wear a fat suit doesn't mean you deserve a Best Leading Actor Oscar, certainly. But I also think packed into him winning, who I think he will win, uh, is a bit of a comeback story, right? Because people love Brendan Fraser. This was his first major role after taking a hiatus of however many yeah. 
10, 15 plus years. And, um, his, his comeback role was this, uh, which was a really heartfelt, uh, look at someone dealing with how do I be in relationship with my daughter who was estranged? How do I be in relationship with this caregiver who really does care about him, but he, he doesn't care about himself, <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. H- hating himself for, for being in the state that he is. And then him coming to realize how do I salvage my relationship with myself and relationship with these other people? I have not seen this movie, but I want to see it. And I know it's only in theaters. I was hoping I could stream it. But just from what I've seen from clips and everything, I I just want to see it so bad because I know that I will really appreciate it. So I can't wait to watch it. Austin Butler as Elvis, even though I wasn't a huge fan of the movie, I think his portrayal was so well done. I don't like seeing a lot of times it's hard for me to watch movies when people are portraying such icons because people can't live up to those particular icons or just something that doesn't work. And so when it does work, it, it's, it deserves our attention. So I think that Austin Butler did an amazing job being Elvis, and he does have a charisma. He's the epitome of the method actor, just considering that he's still playing him. Right. <laughs> yes. And then Colin Farrell has always been so good in everything he's in. And he is a character that can transform himself. He was in The Batman. I didn't know it was him until after I left the theater. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that was him. And then I just think he just did a really, really good job in this um, portrayal. And Paul Mescal, I've seen only him in Normal People. And I, it's interesting because I saw Normal People on Hulu. I thought I really liked it. And I'm like, I really like this guy. There's something about him that I really like. And I thought to myself, if I can see, I want to see something else he's in. That's how much I really appreciated his acting. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of not surprised that he was um, nominated for this other role that I haven't seen yet that I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I've never heard of that movie, After Sun. Yeah, I have, I've seen it out. I don't really know what it's about, but I've seen the pieces of it previously. And I, because I recognized him as the actor. I thought, yeah. oh, that's that guy on, uh, on Normal People. And then Bill Nye who to me is like a character actor and he's in living yeah. and I haven't seen either one of those performances either, but we both have our thoughts on who is going to win and we'll give our, we'll give our uh, picks in just a moment. Okay. But let's just go over really quickly the nominees for best lead actress. So Kate Blanchett in tar, Michelle Yeoh in everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, Anna de Armas in blonde, Andrea Riseborough, to Leslie and Michelle Williams in The Fablemans. And I think we've talked a lot about Kate Planchett, but I yeah. I was just amazed that because I had read somewhere that she actually learned more about classical music and playing these pieces on the piano and that when she was playing and they were filming it, uh, he didn't want the director didn't want to concentrate on her fingers so much. He wanted to see in her eyes and in her movement, but she was kind of not happy because she's all I put in all this work. I've done all this. I want you to show my hands. Right? I'm really playing. Wow. But uh, she was so good in that role. And like you said, all the languages she had to learn, just everything, the whole persona. She's one of those people that really transforms herself also. So I think she was really good in this. 
Michelle Yeoh. Oh my gosh. She's like, it, it blows my mind what she had to do in this. And thinking about, okay, she's a mom, a daughter, a wife, a business owner, and a kick-ass fighter. And then I thought, well, isn't that like most women <laughs> that we yeah. are? We're always multitasking. I thought she's representing all of us. So just being able to play all this and with her face and just everything that she could delve into, it was just an amazing, amazing performance. And with Michelle yep. Williams, probably the lesser of of these. I'm, I think she's a phenomenal actress. So I'm not saying anything about her, but I'm talking about um, in comparing these roles and these performances. Uh, she played more of just a regular mom, but I will say she had this Peter Pan-esque about her mm -hmm. that really came through. I loved how she um, was so enamored by her son's talent, how she really supported him and wanted him to be happy and wanted him to, you know, follow his dreams. And I think that sometimes people think that acting is easy. And that this role was probably, oh, yes, anybody could do that. No, it takes a lot to have these little nuanced performances. And I also know that there was the part where she's watching, I'm not going to give it all away, but where she's watching what Sammy, who is Steven Spielberg, uh, filmed, and and he's um, very upset with his mother, and he wants her to watch why it is that he's not, he's kind of like mad at her, he's pissed off at her, and she watches what the filming, and in the filming, something, you know, you come to know something that has happened. But they, they're they showing, the camera is on her, on her, for her watching this, and how she changes to her realization of what her son knows. Wow, I just thought it was really powerful to watch her do that, and to have a camera. Yeah, I love you brought up Peter Pan aspect of it, because it makes me wonder, like, because this was through the lens of Steven Spielberg as a kid, it is very much through a childlike Peter Pan, Lost Boy, uh, Wendy, Michael, <laughs> Nana, you know, like, like lens, right? Where you're living in this fantastical world and you have this worldview that's very different and you watch that crumble in front of your eyes. You know, it like truly watch that just through her face in that one scene, you watch it. So in a lot of ways, maybe she is that sort of Peter Pan character and he's a lost boy and, you know, he's following her. Maybe it's the other way around. I don't know. Even down to the very, maybe she's the Tinkerbell, right? Like very much pixie-like haircut all the way down to support that, right? Yeah, absolutely. That pixie haircut, she was cute in that too. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts on the best lead actress? I did not... I did not see Blonde, and I am only slightly familiar with the controversy um, surrounding Andrea Riseborough in this to Leslie um, in her nomination of, like, I don't know, the rules of the uh, the Academy of campaigning rules and late stage rules and even who this person is. So I don't have any thoughts about her. Um, and then I did not see Blonde either. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure, obviously, to get nominated, I'm sure they were standout performances and... Um, until I see it, I have no reason to question why they're there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll move on to, were there any other nominations that stood out to you or that you wanted to bring up? Uh, I, I did just want to quickly touch on my elation of the comeback of Ki Hoi Kwan for best supporting male uh, actor in Everything Everywhere All at Once. My God, like, not only have I enjoyed every single award show speech 
that he has given. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm just like, I'll like start crying if I think about it right now, just like his sincerity and gratitude around his, the, 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 not only his ability to come back, but the reason, the heartbreaking reason why he stopped making films in the first place after Indiana Jones and the Goonies. Yeah. Nothing but a promising career ahead of him. And then Hollywood dropped the bottom out of his career because of their worldview on Asian American um, Pacific Islander actors. And for the extra baggage that comes with him winning of opening more opportunities between him, Michelle Yeoh, almost the entire cast besides Jamie Lee Curtis of, you know, we'll just call it E-E-A-A-O. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the the opportunities that this is going to open up and the conversation that this has opened up in Hollywood is overdue and necessary. So I think he's a shoe in for, for best supporting male lead. And I hope he wins. And I hope that this gives him a, a career as long into his 90s as his, you know, his father-in-law in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I so agree with you. And I hope that that is true. I think the only other thing that I wanted to bring up was Best Supporting Actress. We have talked about, well, I don't know if we talked about Jamie Lee Hurtis because she is nominated. And oh, she was so good in this, so good. I would love to play a role like that. I think that would be so much fun. But I also really enjoyed Angela Bassett in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I thought she was so, so good in it. And I I think she might be the favorite, but I think it's going to be between those two. And it'll be interesting. I will be happy if if either one of them win for different reasons. So, um, I mean, in what... Show or movie is Angela Bassett not a complete badass? I agree. Same thing. Somebody that wasn't nominated, it was a snub, was Viola Davis. Yeah. Um, I she's so phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And so um, it would have been nice to have seen her on the list too. Yes. Well, and and can I just say, like, it is very promising. Look at these women who are nominated. Michelle Yeoh. 62 or 64 years old. Angela Bassett, 62 years old. Jennifer Coolidge, 60 years old. I'm getting these all of these wrong. Time. Jamie Lee Curtis in her 60s. Like finally, the 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 bar for leading ladies and supporting actresses and actors is getting raised. It is not just 20s and 30s and 40s anymore. It is 60s, the new 40 or 30, hopefully 90 is the new 40, (laughs) you know, at some point, just this, this is a a great year for recognizing talent that has been long overdue, either unrecognized or not given opportunities to play the, these things, right? Like even look at when Sally Field was giving her, right. Her uh, lifetime achievement award. When she played Forrest Gump's mother, she was like a couple years older than him. Right. Like, why couldn't we that have not that I didn't want to see her in it because she was brilliant. But like, how come that role couldn't have just gone to a 60 year old? (laughs) Right. Exactly. So true. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. And it gave me chills as you were talking about it, because I so agree. And I and I love that. And slowly, well, because people have to start writing for different people. Yeah. So once they start writing the scripts and of course, then people backing it up, that's, that's the other issue. So 
Sometimes yeah. it is these independent filmmakers, uh, indie filmmakers who are able to do it and get it out there. So it's so great. All right. So we're going to get to our picks. We are going to pick our best lead actress, our best lead actor, and our best picture. Okay. So tell me, who is your pick for best lead actress? Uh, in the bag, Michelle Yeoh. I agree. I say Michelle Yeoh, although I do think Kate Blanchett will give her a run for her money. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, best lead actor. I think Brendan Fraser. And same thing for me. I say Brendan Fraser too. But <laughs> And again, I think Austin Butler, uh, who I believe won the Golden Globe. And I also, yeah. I think, like I said, Colin Farrell is so good. But I just have a feeling Brendan's going to win this one. Okay, and for best picture. <laughs> I think we know who I we're going to pick. I think you know what I'm going to say. Say it. Our E-E-A-A-O, everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> Best picture. And I want to say I loved Top Gun. I will probably watch, out of all the movies that uh, that were nominated, it'll probably be the one that I watched the most. And it did make me cry. That movie did make me cry. And uh, just with all the, the nostalgia. So I really do love the movie. I liked Avatar, but I really, really think it's going to be everywhere, everything, all at once. I loved it. It was so different. And so I really do think it's going to win. So yeah, it deserves it. All righty. Well, thanks, Courtney. I loved getting your insights on these films and performances on the Oscars. So thank you so much. Oh, my God. This has been a blast. Movies are my thing. And you made me think about uh, new ways to... Uh, to think about different lenses of why these movies were even made in the first place. So this is why we should yeah. be talking about them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And the Oscars will be live on Sunday, March 12th, 8 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. Pacific time on ABC. And we'll see if we got any of our picks right. All right. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. We are grateful you tuned in and we hope something that we said today resonated with you, gave you a chuckle, some happiness, some positivity or inspiration. Please subscribe to our website, screensandfocus.com and tell a friend. We would love more members of our TV club. If you could rate and review our podcast on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, we'd appreciate it. This will help other listeners find us. We'll be uploading a new episode in a couple of weeks. Next show will be on Ginny and Georgia Season 2. Also, we are going to be talking about Titanic. You can find our website listed in our show notes. See you next time. Bye. Bye.